This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. From uh, about 15 years on up, uh, a great deal of my thoughts were uh, basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am not 100%, but I am My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. Hello again, and welcome to Serial Killing, a podcast. This is Alyssa Carroll, and I am your host and the creator of at serial underscore killing on Instagram, where we go through the life stories of serial killers to see if we might catch a glimpse of why they display their famous vile and disturbing behaviors. And I want to apologize ahead of time because I'm halfway losing my voice. I went to a rock concert, most of you know, so bear with me. This week's podcast will be on Willie Picton. Robert William Picton was born on October 24, 1949, in Port Coquitlam, British Columbia, Canada. Now, we've gone through what happened during this time many, many times, so here's just a quick look. The Geneva Convention agreed on how prisoners of war were to be treated, which is to say that it outlawed murder, torture, degradation and humiliation, hostage-taking, or sentencing and executing persons outside of court. This, of course, came out of World War II. The average cost of a new house was around $7,500. The average annual salary was nearly $3,000. A new car would, on average, set you back close to $1,500. A gallon of gas was just 17 cents, and minimum wage was about 70 cents per hour. So this was the atmosphere that he was born into. Now his parents were Leonard and Helen Louise Picton. Leonard Francis Picton was born in 1896 in London, England, so he was 53 years old when Willie was born. Leonard immigrated to Canada in the early 1900s. Louise, as she was called, was born in 1912 in Alberta, Canada. That would have made her 37 when she had Willie. Linda was born two years prior and Dave two years after Willie. The couple were poor, to say the least, but they always had meat due to their pig farm, milk from a few dairy cows they had, and though she didn't particularly enjoy it, Louise always baked bread. They were able to keep a roof over their heads. Louise also made their children's clothes. Leonard and Louise inherited their first farm from Leonard's family, who had homesteaded there more than 100 years ago. 
that original farm is now gone. It's blocks of tract housing now taken over that area. Willie's entrance into the world was immediately troubled. He was born with the cord wrapped around his neck, and some have said that it caused at least some level of brain damage, though it went undiagnosed. But nonetheless, he was born into a family that had been proud pig farmers for three generations. The farm they owned was next to a hospital, and one particular section was the Forensic Psychiatric Hospital for the Criminally Insane. Willie, his brother Dave, and sister Linda played together on the farm as well as on the grounds of this hospital. The school they attended also had the children of, you know, the doctors and the nurses that worked at the hospital. Once in a while, Leonard and Louise would hire patients from the hospital to do chores around the farm. So basically, Leonard had nothing to do with the children for the most part, which left Louise to do the parenting. Willie's mother was a workaholic who ran the family business and expected the children to put in long hours taking care of pigs as well as looking after the other animals and even on school days. However, she didn't really make Linda work nearly as much as she did the boys, or at least my research came across that way. And this meant that the kids went on to school after working and smelled of animal feces and so on. And that's when they even went to school. Louise kept them out sometimes to work because she felt that it was more important than their education. This left the kids wide open to being bullied by the other children. And as far as Willie's grades went, well, those weren't very good either. He had an IQ of 86, which is considered lower than average, and much of his school career was spent in special education classes. Locals who knew the family have stated that while Louise most likely tried to be a decent parent to her kids, it was pretty obvious that she was not cut out for it. She was a businesswoman who viewed her children as free labor, basically. When Willie was still a young boy, he found out that his parents had slaughtered a pet calf that he had raised himself. This upset him greatly, and he never got over it. He's been telling that story all of his life. Now, as the years went on, the government basically forced the family to sell their farm so that they could build Highway 7. They moved to a new farm on Dominion Road, and the land was 40 acres of mostly swampy land and a nearly uninhabitable house. It was around this time that Willie's sister, Linda, left to go live with relatives in Vancouver. Now, Willie was called a mama's boy, but he was also shy. It is said that if he wanted to hide from someone, he would crawl into an empty carcass of a large hog. And again, let me stress to you that his personal hygiene was atrocious. Apparently, he actually had a fear of showers. Brand new clothes, on an extremely rare occasion that he got any, were so starched and uncomfortable he complained that they caused his skin to hurt. 
He smelled again like animal feces, rotting animals, and dirt, and he did not launder his clothes. He was completely repellent to all of his schoolmates, and as he grew into his teens, girls obviously wanted nothing to do with him. Due to the accumulation of all of this, 15-year-old Willie dropped out of school long before he would have graduated. Now, here is a story from his teens. Willie would have been about 17 or 18. His younger brother, Dave, had just recently gotten his driver's license and decided to go for a drive in his father's truck. Just ahead of him, 14-year-old Tim Barrett was walking down the road and Dave slammed right into him. Tim's body was lying crumpled on the road and Dave, in a panic, he raced home to tell his mother. Louise had Dave take her back to the scene where she checked the body out, she rolled the body into a very deep ditch, turned around and went back home without a word. Dave then took the truck to the family mechanic to have the dent hammered out and the headlight replaced. The mechanic did refuse to paint the area on the truck though. The next day, the boy was found by neighbors and his own family in that deep ditch. But the cause of death was determined to be drowning, even though he had obvious and very severe injuries. And while it's not thought that Willie had anything to do with this, it's actually more telling about Louise's mindset and behavior. So that was Willie's childhood. We already see that the father married after a life of near bachelorhood to a woman a generation younger than him. His mother was 37 years old when she had him. Well, in this day and age, that's not really a big deal, but back then, that was quite an advanced age to be having children. I saw no evidence of her having any children prior to the three she had with Leonard, so we can kind of assume that she put off marriage and children for quite some time compared to others from her generation. It is said that she was just not cut out for the intimacy, the affection, and attention that being a parent requires. So we very well might see Willie as possibly having an attachment disorder, but don't quote me on that. His father, again, had little to nothing to do with the actual parenting of any of his children, which sadly isn't entirely uncommon for those times. Now, Louise was prone to keeping her children, especially the boys, home from school, but I think we can agree that it was more out of necessity than anything. I don't want to sit and say that she cared nothing for their education at all, but it would have been expensive to hire farmhands, and I would think a bit scary hiring the, you know, quote, criminally insane inmates from the hospital next door. We know that the family was quite poor, and it is extremely hard work keeping up with an animal farm raised for meat. And someone had to butcher the hogs, deal with the entrails, the internal organs, then there is the feeding, the manure shoveling. I mean, the list is on and on, and that would be quite a lot to handle for an aging woman and her nearly elderly husband. 
I would think keeping the boys home to help with the farm was just kind of a necessary evil. But that level of hard work, little to no time for play, and then of course you have children who obviously would carry around a certain odor from that work. The other kids found them repellent, and especially Willie, because he did not want to bathe at all. Now, there are a couple of theories as to why he was this way. Some psychologists believe it could stem from him being uncomfortable around people, and therefore the smell kept people away from him. This certainly doesn't sound unreasonable when you consider he really had little to no childhood or learned those, you know, crucial social skills that we all have to. It seems reasonable that, while not the best way to accomplish it, not bathing would certainly work. There was another small blurb, if you will, where I found that Willie complained terribly on the rare occasion that he actually received new clothes and had to wear them. He said that they irritated his skin to the point that it was painful. Now, my immediate thought was that perhaps he had a skin allergy to whatever starches might have been used on the clothes from the factory, because certainly, if his mother laundered the clothes before he wore them, well, his skin would be used to whatever soap she used. Or was it potentially the possible increase in attention given to him when he was in these clothes? Did he have some level of anxiety and the stress manifested itself into irritated, itchy skin? I don't know, but I truly feel that there's something there. There is another story that states that once he was upset, he hid inside a pig carcass. Now, here again, we see a child choosing the opposite of what most of us would ever do as children if we wanted to hide. Of course, the blood and bone and mess that comes along with meat production was all Willie ever knew growing up. But I still find it fascinating that he chose an emptied out carcass to hide in. Again, he seems to have chosen filth as a defense or coping mechanism. One more telling thing about Willie is really about his mother's reaction to Dave's car accident that killed that other teen. I can fully sympathize with Dave as he went running to his mother for what to do. And I can also understand her possible want to protect her child from any consequences of what we all assume was just an accident. But the fact that Willie knew his mother had just rolled the boy's body down a steep ditch and walked away with no remorse or guilt would speak volumes to him. Where is the respect for life? Children watch their parents closely to learn how to react to and handle different situations. A parent must always, no matter how they personally feel, do their very best to make sure their children understand right and wrong, consequences, and empathy. I cannot stress that enough. Teach your kids empathy. But of course, we weren't there, right? So we don't know what she said to her boys, being that their sister Linda had long ago moved away. We don't know if she addressed it at all. 
Perhaps she just sort of brushed her hands off, walked away, and pretended as if nothing happened. And lastly, we know Willie was born with his umbilical cord wrapped around his neck. This is usually harmless, but sometimes it can cause birth asphyxia. It happens in about 15 to 35% of pregnancies. If this happens, it can interrupt normal blood, nutrient, and oxygen exchanges to the baby. A form of brain damage from this is called, it's a big word, hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy, which can cause a whole host of issues, including cerebral palsy, epilepsy, hearing or vision impairments. But I think what we might have in this case is that it caused cognitive disabilities. It could significantly limit both the intellectual and adaptive behaviors in growing children. There could be developmental delays and so on. He supposedly had an IQ of 86, which is above the level of 70 to be classified as having an intellectual disability. So I'm kind of on the fence with this aspect of his childhood, but it certainly could have contributed. So let's get back into it. Not much else has been said about Willie's young adult life. His father died in 1978 at 83 years old. Willie at this point was 30 years old. We can just assume that he continued to work on the farm. Life went on. But then just over a year later, Louise died. The estate was worth a fair amount of money, and Linda and David actually got their inheritance nearly immediately. But Louise had put a stipulation on Willie's portion. It was to be put in a trust until he was 40 years old, which was almost 10 years away, and that his two siblings would manage that trust until Willie could get it. Needless to say, he felt humiliated, betrayed by his mother. I can't seem to find the details, but it is said that he began to get into trouble with the law pretty quickly. He was arrested for sexual assault and assault of a prostitute. Willie also began sort of referring to his little brother as his father, saying things like, quote, I'll tell you, but don't go tell my dad, unquote. But he'd be talking about David. Of course, David was basically running the pig farm and he did look after his brother. Linda was at this point working in real estate and she had very little to do with the farm business. But people said that Willie and David were kind and hardworking. They described David as, quote, as sharp as they come, unquote. Now, Dave sold off a sizable amount of acreage, and he and Willie became multimillionaires. They then ran an unlicensed slaughterhouse on the property they had decided to keep. By 1983, Willie was leaving his farm and driving into Vancouver to pick up drug addicts and prostitutes, luring them with an offering of drugs and drive them back to his farm. And the brothers were pretty well known for throwing these wild parties on the farm. And these parties would sometimes attract up to 2,000 people. And 
you know, they let the farm get really run down. And eventually it became a place where drug addicts would stay for extended periods of time. There was just scrap and wrecked vehicles and falling down buildings and trash everywhere. An acquaintance of Willie's called the farm a, quote, creepy looking place and stated that it was patrolled by a 600 pound boar. Quote, I never saw a pig like that who would chase you and bite you. It was running out with the dogs around the property, unquote. This same acquaintance also began to notice that women who visited the farm were coming up missing. Willie was bringing prostitutes and drug addicts to the farm. He would have sex with these women or rape them and then murder them. Once they were dead, he would then take their bodies to the butcher barn. Witnesses later came forward and claimed to have seen him hanging a woman from a meat hook and skinning her. He so loved the power and control that he had over these women. The ultimate goal was the rape. And then instead of them leaving and turning him in, as had happened to him in the past, he simply killed them, butchered some of the meat, and threw the rest to the pigs. Because we all know that pigs will eat everything but the teeth, as the saying goes. When he would throw these wild parties, he would have a pig roasting, a pig that had been fed the chopped up remains of his victims. What he couldn't use, such as the pig bones or entrails, were sold to companies that would use the rest of those other parts in the food industry. Women's remains also went to the processing plants. And there were times Willie fed human meat to his guests. In fact, the whole of the area had, in one way or another, unknowingly ate human remains. One of the workers on the farm, a man by the name of Bill Hiscox, began to suspect what was going on around that farm. He did go to the authorities, but basically nothing came of it. However, on February 6th, 2002, police finally obtained a search warrant for illegal firearms on the farm. After Willie was taken into custody, police obtained a second court order to search the farm as part of the BC Missing Women's Investigation. And they certainly found personal items belonging to the missing women on the farm, but at first nothing else. The next day, Picton was charged with a weapons offense, and unfortunately, he was later released. But thankfully, he was kept under police surveillance. Finally, on February 22nd, he was finally arrested and charged with two counts of first-degree murder. As the next few months went by, the murder charges climbed to 27, making him the most prolific serial killer in Canadian history at that time. The authorities brought in dozens of these archaeology students with training in identifying human bones and had the farm excavated through November 2003. And in 2004, it was revealed that Willie had ground up human remains 
and mixed it with pork that he sold to the public. So, of course, the province's health authority issued a warning immediately. Afterward, the property was fenced off, the buildings on the property were demolished, and forensic analysis indeed proved difficult because the bodies were left to be eaten by insects and pigs on the farm. Willie's trial began in 2006 in New Westminster, where he pled not guilty to 27 charges of first-degree murder in the Supreme Court of British Columbia. Canadians then heard the gory details of what was found on his property, such as, disclaimer, skulls that had been cut in half with hands and feet stuffed inside. The remains of one victim was stuffed in a garbage bag in his trailer. Part of another victim's jawbone and teeth found just outside the slaughterhouse and a small handgun with an attached mm, sex toy that he apparently used as a silencer. A tape was played in the trial where you could hear Picton describing how he killed the women. I think they got that through another inmate in prison. He did this by handcuffing and strangling them, then bleeding and gutting them before feeding them to the hogs. Needless to say, it did not take long for the jury to find him guilty. Robert Picton received a sentence of life with no possibility of parole for 25 years. Today, he is nearly 70 years old, dealing with hepatitis, and sits behind bars in a Canadian prison. Thank God. Now, you and I, we've been through a lot of these together. We have walked the path side by side through horrendous childhoods and genetic factors, you know, the whole spectrum. You guys discuss with me your theories and thoughts, and I absolutely love it. Every time I'm notified, I cannot wait to get in there and see what you guys have come up with. This community that you and I are building together is incredible. I love you guys. So I feel pretty confident in saying that you'll agree with me in my assessment. Though his mother was not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, and his father didn't really bother himself with his children. And even though his IQ was low, it wasn't incredibly low, just the low end of average. And even though he was raised around the bloody business of butchering animals, I still feel that what he did cannot be explained through the typical, you know, easygoing nature versus nurture. I really feel that this guy was straight up born to kill. But what do you think? Leave me a comment on Instagram at Serial underscore Killing or YouTube under the same name of this podcast. You can visit my website at SerialKilling.Squarespace.com. It's always under construction, I know. And consider sponsoring the podcast. It takes a lot of time to do these, but I love it. And thank you. I cannot thank you enough for listening. I appreciate every one of you. Because I know that you could have listened to anyone else, but you chose me. Thank you so, so much and 